Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. How we doing? How was breakfast? That's how I say it. Breakfast. Breakfast. Biscuits were killer, weren't they? Here's a little piece about me. I've got a, um, a slight gluten sensitivity. Uh, and I just, I, I just risked it all. I, I risked it for the biscuit. <laughs> the biscuits is so good. Homemade, homemade. You can't beat it, man. You know, I get very lethargic when I eat gluten. Um, so anyway, uh, I'm going to try not to take a nap. I'm going to be awake. Are you guys with me this morning? Are we awake? Who's? Somebody stayed up till three o'clock in the morning last night. Who was that? Who was the 3 a.m. crew? And then somebody uh, said that they woke up at five this morning and just stared at the ceiling until everybody else was up. <laughs> that's wild. That, that's, that's wild. There's something wrong with that. Um, what, where's my zip lining crew at? Zip liners? Oh my gosh. Talk about risk. That's risk. I don't do heights. That's something about me. I do not do heights. Big tree, fall hard. Do not do heights. Um, where's my paintball people? Those are my people. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I might be getting on that paintball field with y'all, you know. That. Somebody told me this morning, they said, um, are you sure you want to play paintball? It was something along these lines. They said, um, you seem like a really easy target. They, <laughs> I don't know how to take that. I... Look, don't underestimate the power of the house. I'm big, but don't let it fool you. I'm light on my feet. Very, very light on my feet. Mobile. That's funny to you? That's funny? All right, so we're, we're in this teaching series through the course of this weekend, um, and I'm going to stick to my promise. My promise was I'm going to give you 100%. I'm going to give you 100%. You'll see me up here sweating, yelling, giving everything that I have, everything that God has given me to speak into you because this is the only moment I got. Jesus says in his word, he says, don't, don't worry about tomorrow. Today has enough trouble of its own. Just think about today. Think about this present moment, what God has given you. So right now in this present moment, I'm going to give you all of me. I'm going to give you every breath, every thought. I'm going to give you all of me, I promise. And I'm just asking for return 100% of you, 100% of you in this moment. Because I know when a 100 and 100 comes together, exponential things happen. It's, it's crazy how the Lord works when two people agree together. Yesterday, uh, last night, we talked about uh, the definition of freedom. We talked about the definition of freedom, and we talked about the biblical definition of freedom and how freedom is experienced in relationship with God where God is and within the parameters and the structure that he has set on his creation to thrive and flourish. Here's what I know. If, if God has created a good thing, because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created light and separated that from the darkness. He created the waters. He created plants and the living things, the animals that walk the plains, he, the fish in the sea, the birds of the sky, and you and me. And after he created everything in that Genesis account, he said, it is good. It is good. 
This is good stuff that he created. This is beautiful stuff that he created. He is, we serve a creative God. And when he set everything in the place and everything in motion, he said it is good. You know what's crazy about the creation account if you look in the book of Genesis? This is awesome because sometimes we can take a look at the book and we could say, oh, that's old news. That stuff's not relevant. That stuff's not that deep. When you look at Genesis, I want you to take a look at this in your small groups today how God created everything according to its kind. God created everything according to its kind. He says, God created the plants according to its kind. God made the birds in the sky according to its kind. God made the beasts of the field according to its kind. God made the fish of the sea according to its kind. He said, God made everything according to its kind over a five-day span. But on the sixth day, when it came to you and me, God said, let us create man in our image according to our likeness. So the thing that is so unique about you and me is that everything that God created, he created according to its kind. Dogs to the kind of dogs, fish to the kinds of fish, birds to the kinds of chickens to its kind of chickens. They just follow according to its kind. They're made according to its kind. But you and me, he created according to his kind. He created in his image, in his likeness. And that's where we get this doctrine, this theology of imago Dei. It means you've been created in the image of God. And you know what's crazy? When God made everything in the heavens and the earth according to its kind, following its kind, he said, it is good, it is good, it is good. But when he made you and me in his image according to his likeness, he said, it is very good. Everything made according to its kind. It's good, it's good, that's good, y'all, but I made man and woman in my image according to my kind. You have been made in the image of God to reflect the image of God, to be, to be people who represent the image of God. In you is where the sun shines. You are lights in the darkness. God created you according to his kind. And that's a beautiful truth if we look at the fact that God wants us to live and thrive in his presence according to who he is. Not even according to who we want to be, but according to who he is, what he has set in place, how he has determined your calling, how he's created you, how he set his image on you. And he says, I want you to thrive and flourish according to my good purpose that I have set in you to glorify me with your life. Because where I am and where you are, there is freedom. And I want the outflow, the proclamation of your life to say, I have a relationship with the image of God. I have a relationship with the creator of the universe in whose image I've been created. And my purpose is to reflect him where I am. If I can be true and honest with the youth of today, I know that we need a little bit more reflection, a, a reflective light of our God in this dark world. Man, world is dark today. The world is covered today. There's so many ideas. We got access. We can go as far as we want, as deep as we want. In the information age, we can accumulate all this knowledge thinking that we know something. There are disputes everywhere. Everywhere people are being canceled. People are being shut down. People are being um, ostracized. People are being uh, pushed aside. There's uh, highest levels in, in our nation's history of teen depression, anxiety, suicide, self-doubt, 
identity crisis. There was all this darkness around me. And God is sitting and he's saying, hey, that's not my best for you. I need some young people who knew, know who they are in me, who know who they've been created to be in me. I need some flashlights in these dark caves. I need some bright lights among a generation. I need some hope dealers out here. I need some people to come alongside the, the youth of this day, knowing that you are the future. And if, if there's no one to reflect the light of Jesus in this dark world, then I'm going to tell you right now, this dark world is going to continue to increase in its darkness. And we're all going to find ourselves just in a generation full of slaves. Slaves to darkness. Slaves to depression, slaves to doubt, slaves to death, slaves to our sins, slaves to whatever comes across our way that we feel like might look good, taste good, feel good. We're just slaves to all that. And in the midst of that, we are not walking with the creator who wants us to thrive and flourish in our relationship with him and say, this is where hope is. This is where joy is. This is where goodness is. This is where your identity is found. This is where who you are is realized in proximity and relationship to who I am. I set all this into motion. I knit you together in your mother's womb. I know every hair on your head. I know every desire of your heart. I know every thought that's ever crossed your mind before you even thought it because I've made you and had you in mind before I even laid the foundations of the earth, your mind. Why wouldn't I want you to thrive? Why wouldn't I want you to be full of life? Why would not I want there to be hope instilled in you? Why would I not want you to be a light? I created you. I'm intimately acquainted with who you are, young people. That's our God. And in the midst of all the noise, and in the midst of all the, the uh, headbutting, in the midst of all the disruption, in the midst of all the haste and the busyness and the schedules and the distractions, we forget that our God, loves us, cares about us, is for us, is with us. And we go after the things that so easily distract us. In Genesis chapter three, there's an account. It didn't take long for, it was only within the confines of one short chapter before man started to go after the things that they wanted to go after rather than be living in the fullness of freedom that they had in relationship with their creator. Between Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3, this is where we have the creation of man living in freedom, flourishing in the garden, and then the fall, where they became slaves to their sin. It says in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, it says, The serpent was more crafty than any of the animals in the, the Lord had, God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say... You must not eat from any tree in the garden. Remember yesterday we talked about how God made man, put him in the garden. Adam and Eve were in the garden. God said, cultivate the earth, subdue it, manage it, work as worship, enjoy what I've given you. You can have anything you want out here. You can eat from any tree. You are free. Just don't eat from that one. And it's in the midst of Eve walking in the garden and this crafty serpent, the adversary, the enemy is in the form of this serpent and he comes to the woman with a question. And the question is, did God really say? Did God really say? 
you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not even touch it or you will die. And the serpent responds, you will not certainly die, the serpent said. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it and she gave some to her husband who was with her and she ate from it. Here we have Adam and Eve walking in the cool of the day in the garden. Everything is granted to them. They've got access. They're living in freedom and flourishing in this place that God has given them. And along comes the enemy, the adversary. And the question that is asked in the midst of this scene is, did God really say? Did God really say? And honestly, if I'm honest with you, I love this question and I hate this question. I love this question because sometimes we can use questions to draw us closer to God. There's in my life as a pastor, as a preacher, as a youth leader, I have had tons of questions come my way. And my question back to the question asker or even if I have questions myself is, is this question a means to draw me closer to God or push me away from him? Is this question being asked because I want to dispute the existence of God and how good he is? Or do I want to get uh, deeper in my understanding and my discovery of who God is? Because if we're not careful, questions can either lead us closer in our relationship to the Lord or push us farther away from him. I get questions all the time from young people who are, did God really say, what about, what about, what about? And it doesn't take long for me to begin to discern, to say, I think you're asking these questions not because you want to know more about God, but you want to solidify your doubt. There are questions that we have, and it all begins here. Did God really say? Isn't it interesting how crafty the serpent is? Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The question that the enemy might have from us, for us, he will know full well that the question that he's asking is a trap. And the answers that, that he is drawing from you is, is an opportunity from him, for him to draw out lies and deeper doubt in you. Questions. Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? He knew, he knew well and good that God did not say you can't eat from every tree in the garden or any tree. This serpent knew what God's command was, but he wanted to resurrect some doubt in this woman to say, is it true that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did God really say that? And the woman responds with truth. She says, no, we, we can eat from any tree, just not that one, because we'll die. And the serpent undermines the directive of the creator and says, you're not going to die. He's just going to, he's just worried that you're going to become like him. 
God just knows that you're going to become like him. If you disobey, you are going to become like God. If you walk in this, if you take advantage of this situation, if you eat from that, you're going to become like him. You will no longer have to be submitted under the authority of your creator. You won't ever have to be walking and functioning within these pleasant boundaries that have been set for you. You're going to be like him. You're going to be like God. And that was attractive to both the man and the woman because they both took and they both ate. And it says that their eyes were open and that they were immediately aware of their nakedness. They were immediately aware that, that there were some things in their life and in their mind and there, there, was, there were things that, that were happening in them that where they became aware and there was shame that started happening and that they started feeling and there was guilt that started coming upon them and they were experiencing it. So immediately they hid in a bush and they covered up with some leaves because they were like, something's not quite right here. Here's what I wonder. Here's what I wonder. What decisions are we making based off of the questions that we had about God's goodness that has actually led us to cover, up, cover ourselves up or go into places of hiding? What are some questions that we've had about life where we started dabbling in some things where we're like, did God really say, is that really bad? Is that really not good for me? Is that something that God doesn't want for me? And then we enter into making those decisions and we take advantage of those questions and those opportunities to live outside of as well. And then next thing you know, we're feeling guilt and shame and hiding and cover up and we don't know how to, where to go to and we don't know who to tell and we don't know what to do. And so we just wrestle with these places and it doesn't feel like God is present at all. And so we're just hiding and covering up. It's not that foreign. It's not a foreign idea that we make decisions based on questions that we've had and we give into temptations. And the next thing you know, we're feeling guilt and shame and hiding and cover up. Like we can't be honest with these things. And we don't know who to go to. You know, God did not create us for hiding and guilt and shame and regret and to feel these terrible ways. God did not create us to, to function out of a place where we're making decisions based off of the questions that we might have and the feelings that we might have or the sources we might drawing, be drawing from outside of his will. You know what the woman should have done? The woman was in proximity to God in a relationship, and so was the man. They were in a relationship with God in this place of flourishing and the the enemy came the serpent came and said did God really say and in that moment they should have fact checked with the Lord if they had a relationship with God in his presence if they had access to the creator they, they should have said ho 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 hold up a second let, let me take a second let me let me check this out with our creator let me check this out with the Lord. But instead, they engage with this conversation with this crafty serpent. Next thing you know, they become curious about the thing that, that God is holding out on them uh, with. And then they enter into that space. They take that fruit. They take a bite. It's outside of God's will. And the next thing you know, they're in a hiding place. In that moment, there was a separation that took place. They had never hid from God before. They had never felt guilt before. They had never experienced shame before. 
And and they didn't die a physical death, but here's what happened, y'all. When God said, surely you will die, when you function outside of my will, you're left to your own devices. You're left to your own power, your own sustenance. You become your own God. You made a decision right there. You are your own God. All right, well, if you're your own God, let's see how you hold up. And so they were separated in this relationship with God. That's a spiritual death. There was no longer a line that existed between the holy, righteous God, creator of the universe, that wants what's good for his creation and the creation that decided that that was no good for them. They wanted more. That's where the separation happened. God said, I can't touch that. I can't touch a humanity, a creation that I made that that decided that they wanted to just go about it their own way. I can't live with that. And so there was a separation. It's so funny because when we want to be God in our own lives and we ask questions as a modus to to be our own God and to maybe justify some decisions that we want to make outside of his will. It's deeper than we think. It's not just us being the master of our own lives. It's it's we we separate ourselves from God because we give into those temptations and ask those questions because ultimately we want to be God. We wanna be God over our own life. We wanna be on the throne of our own life. We wanna choose what's good for our own life. And so we turn from God and say, that's not what's best for us. This is what I choose. And so we separate ourselves from the Lord. One thing that God knows about humanity and that he created is that whatever owns your heart owns you. Whatever owns your heart owns you. There's a a scripture that says, says, uh, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Wherever your treasure is, your treasure is fame, your heart's gonna be connected to fame. Your treasure is money, your heart's gonna be... your heart is going to be connected to money. It's going to go after money. If, you're, if, your heart, if your treasure is popularity, then your heart is going to live and be tre- stored up with popularity. That is going to be your master. Wherever your heart is, that's, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. The treasure of humanity, the treasure of mankind was being like God. I want to be like him. And so that's where their heart was. And they went after that thing that would make them like God. And the ramifications of that was now I'm living a life outside of God's will. I'm disconnected. I'm separated from God. When we want to be God, we separate ourselves from God. And whatever owns our heart owns us. But here's what's so beautiful. If we want to know God, that's what moves us towards God. The questions that we might have when we reference and we cross check and we fact check the questions that we might have because tons of questions are being thrown in our face today about God, about faith, about his word, about religion, about these things. And it has us pulled in all these different directions. But if we cross check with the word, if we go to God in prayer, it says in his word, the promise is if you draw close to me, I will draw close to you. It says in his word, where my spirit is, there is freedom. If two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in your midst. It's quick. The Lord wants to be with you. He created you for flourishing. He created you to live in freedom with him. He doesn't want you there. 
He doesn't abandon you with the time that you mess up. And he doesn't say, oh, now figure it out for yourself. He provides a way back. You want to know me? Say less. You can come before me because I created you not to experience guilt and shame and separation. I created you to be in a relationship with me. This is my original intent for you. And you ain't too jacked up to be in a relationship with me. But I've heard it said that God will hand you over to whatever you hand yourself to, including him. I've heard it said that God's a gentleman. The Holy Spirit's a gentleman. He, he, don't, he don't grab you by the arm and pull you. He doesn't wrestle you into his graces. He doesn't thrash you over the head, beat you over. God's a gentleman. You know what he does? He stands at the door and knocks. He knocks on the door of your heart and he waits for the door to be open and he waits for you to invite him in to sit at the table with him, to be in relationship with him. Our God's a gentleman. And he's given you the freedom to choose. But the question is, how much do we want God? <laughs> like really, how much do I really wanna experience the full life in Christ? How much do I want God? Do I want him more than the other things that have been set before me, the temptations? And look, here's the thing, I'm not gonna point them out. I'm not going to be so specific about what you're wrestling with, what you're going after, what has your heart. I'm not pointing that out. That's between you, the Holy Spirit, and if you want to process that in prayer and talk with your leader or other believers that you trust, that's fine. The list is far too long, y'all. And I also don't want to give you an out. Oh, he didn't list mine, so I'm good. We all struggle. We all have sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. There are none righteous, not one. We have our sin. We have our trip ups. We make decisions where we want to be the, the God of our own life. And we turn our back on God and we leave him in the rear view and we say peace and we go after what we want. And then when things get really bad and really dark and really isolated, that's when we might call out. God says, you don't have to get to that point. And you're never going to be 100% clean. You're never going to be 100% righteous. You're not going to be 100% pure. Hey, let's wait on the day of the return of Christ Jesus for that to happen when we're called up. Okay, but for now, in your mess, God is with you. Here's what's true about what God says, though about what sin does and us being slaves to sin and not having a relationship with Jesus. He says the wages of sin is death. He says that everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And so if I'm being mastered by sin, you know what's crazy about um, the, the questions that I get about, about the line like, is this okay? What about this? How do you feel about this, pastor? When we start towing that line and seeing how close we can get to sinning, it, it, it means that we're towing a line that has us being drawn toward a master. See, Paul says, the apostle, he says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. 
And then he goes on to say, he says, I'm going to be mastered by nothing. And if I'm going to be a slave, I'm going to be a slave to righteousness. I'm going to be a slave to holiness. I'm going to be a slave to my creator. I'm not going to be a slave to shame and sin and death and separation because that's not what I, where I belong. Paul, the apostle says that. And so we choose, he says, choose your master, glory or death, righteousness or unrighteousness, holiness or unholiness, freedom or bondage. He says, you choose. He says, I choose to be a servant of my God. And we're going to leave this open-ended right now because what we have to come to terms with is the fact that we have sin in our world and our life. And God provides a means and a connection to be back in a right relationship, right standing, a relationship with him where he is with you, in you, for you, and working through you. But until we come to terms with the fact that we are destined because of our inherent sin and the fall of man, that we are destined for separation for God forever, lest we repent and turn to him, man, this is what we gotta deal with. Am I where God wants me to be? Am I where I belong in this life? And when it all comes down to it, when this life is over, and I, man, going through youth ministry, I have literally experienced youth thinking that they have like a hundred years in front of them, come down with a diagnosis or there happened to be an accident or something happens. And next thing you know, it's like, man, that life was a vapor. I have been to funerals for youth and I thank God that they made the decision where they said, I know where I belong before it came to an end. But this life is so short. And the question that you, really have to work, that you really have to wrestle with is, God, am I where I belong? Do I know who I am and whose I am? Because if we don't wrestle with that, y'all, we won't ever genuinely return to the place that he wants us. We have to wrestle with that, young people. And I know it's not this like comfortable message but we have a separation problem. We want for us what we want for us. And that's why that separation exists. The wages of sin is death. Some questions that you'll have in your small group is, why do we believe we go after things other than God? What are your thoughts when you hear whatever owns your heart owns you? And how might we see ourselves choosing what we want for ourselves rather than what God wants for us? And my question too is, and what do we truly believe will come from that, will come of that? I am so grateful that God provides a way back. And he will never give up on us. He will never fail us, leave us, or forsake us. He doesn't leave you alone. And there are plenty of you in this room right now who say, I'm living in that. I'm redeemed. I'm reconciled. I have a relationship with my creator. And I also know there's people in this room right now who are like, 
I don't even know what that is. And the dark, hiding, shameful, guilty, isolated place is what you've come to know as life. And I'm telling you right now, it doesn't have to be that way. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you for this time. Lord, you confront us with sin. You confront us with the things that we're giving ourselves to, that we're allowing to master ourselves. We're allowing to master us. And Lord, I pray that we would wrestle with this and truly come to terms with what we're giving ourselves to in this life outside of your will. And Lord, ultimately, we want to flourish in freedom but we know that at some point in time, Lord, things just started to fall. And Lord, we don't have to look too far to see the brokenness in our world, to see the contempt, to see the wars, to see the strife, to see people starving, people doing all sorts of crazy things. We don't have to look too far to see the hopelessness, the discouragement. Lord, we don't have to look too far to see that we're not where you want us to be. We're not where we belong. We thank you, Lord, for your good grace, that you provide a means for us to come back to where we belong. And when you did it, you said it is done once and for all. And therefore, there is no shame, no heartache, no condemnation, no guilt. Lord, but we are eclipsed by the image of your son who died for us, Lord. We thank you that there's a way back. We praise you and we thank you for today. I bless their time today, Lord, in small groups. Lord, I pray that they would talk about this stuff honestly, vulnerably, and I pray that the love of your spirit would abound through the groups, and Lord, that they would uplift one another and point one another to you. Father, we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Life After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.